It's good to be here. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 1. And while you're turning in your Bibles, let me give you greetings from Lehigh Valley Baptist Church. God has privileged me to be the senior pastor there at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church now for nearly eight years. My dad, who is a missionary in South Africa out of our church, pastored the church there for 23 years before me, and I served on staff with him for 10 years. And uh, God has been so good to our church family. We have a missions-minded church, and we're thankful for the privilege that God has given to us. We, we now have six families that are sent directly out of our church, and that sixth family will be uh, ordaining and having a sending service, Lord willing, at the end of the month of July and sending them to labor alongside the Williams family in the country of Thailand. And they will be having a special focus on the uh, Chinese-speaking people that live in that region. And so we're just so excited about the opportunities that God has given to us. And it's also our, also our privilege, as your pastor mentioned, for us to partner with you in supporting the Francis family. We appreciate Evan and Kelly and, and Timothy, and we're so thankful for their ministry. We're praying for them and excited about what God is doing there in Taiwan and just rejoicing with you in some of the some of the things that have been happening there, and and praying with them as they're uh, praying for some guidance for the, from the Lord and in the days ahead, and and looking forward to the future. And we're we're glad to have a part in that. It truly is a privilege as uh, New Testament churches to partner together in the work of missions. I believe God has given that work to New Testament churches, and we're thankful for that opportunity. And uh, then I also want to just convey to you that the folks there at Lehigh Valley Baptist are praying for this meeting this week. And I appreciate so much them allowing me to come and preach in, in other churches occasionally. I don't like to be gone from home very often, but uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity, the invitation from Pastor Byler and our church family is praying for the meetings here. appreciate those who are laboring in my place uh, back home during these days. And so uh, just very thankful for this opportunity. Thank you for your hospitality. And we appreciate your kindness to us already, and it's our privilege to be here. We look forward to getting to know each, each of you uh, over the next several days. Acts chapter 1, we're going to take as our text this morning the first several verses of Acts chapter 1. And we want to speak for just a little while this morning about this theme which your pastor has chosen for this missions conference, for such a time as this. And I, I've got to thinking about that that idea of time. Time is a funny thing, isn't it? Time is one of those things that most of us have a love-hate relationship with. For instance, right now, I'm looking at that clock and thinking, I don't like time very much. Uh, some of you really enjoy time. I remember back when I was a boy, it seemed like time took forever to move forward. It seemed like I would have a birthday, and I, I just couldn't wait to be whatever the next birthday was, 13, 15, 18, uh, even younger than that. You know, you, you, it seems like it takes a lifetime to get from one birthday to another. Now I blink, and a birthday goes by. And they tell me it gets worse as you get older. Uh, it seems like as you get old that life has flown by, and it seems like where did, where did time go? In some cultures, time is treated differently than in other cultures. You're probably aware of that. Um, I think we're probably far enough south here where there may be a little different attitude towards time in this part of the country than there is where we're from. In, in eastern Pennsylvania, where we're from, everybody is always in a hurry. And it doesn't matter where they are, they're always in a hurry. Um, if they're driving, you're in their way, get out of my way, I'm, I'm going somewhere important. If you're in the grocery store, I'm trying to get done with my shopping so I can get to the next thing, they'll, they'll practically run you over. Of course, shopping with all of our kids is always exciting, and uh, we're always in somebody's way. It's interesting in different cultures how time is treated differently. In Mexico, uh, for instance, time is measured more by events and relationships than it is by schedules and itineraries. Um, it's not unusual, and it's very frustrating to people of uh, more of a Western mindset. They get to a country like Mexico or somewhere else in South America, and they're always talking about everybody is always late. It's not really that they're late. It's just that they measure time in a different way. They just have a different outlook 
on that time. From our mindset, we say, they're being disrespectful of my schedule. From their mindset, they say, you're being disrespectful of our relationships because relationships are more important than a schedule. And it's just a totally different way of looking at it. I know I can tell by the way some of you are looking at me right now that you're saying, that's crazy. There's no other way to look at time than the way that we look at it. <laughs> time is a funny thing. And in the Bible, the, the Bible speaks about time a lot. And there's two different senses in the New Testament of time. There, there is the idea of time as in like a space of time or an interval of time. And there's also the sense of time where it is a fixed time, like you know, on a schedule, a definite time, a, an event. There, there is a sense of time where it speaks about the quantity of time, like the, the number of our years or the number of our days. And there is also a sense of time where it speaks about the quality or the type of time that it is. Both of these, and, and we're, we're going somewhere, both of these ideas of that, that word time are used here in our text in Acts chapter 1. Now, you're probably familiar with the fact that in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already died. He's risen from the dead. By this point, he has spent 40 days with his disciples preparing them for his ascension back to heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, towards the end of the chapter, Jesus is, is, while they are watching, going to ascend back into heaven with the promise that as he has ascended, so he is going to return. And the disciples are given a task by the Lord just before his ascension, which will be part of the focus of our message. But We're going to get down to verse 6, 7, and 8. That's about where our text is going to be. But I want to read starting in verse number 1 for the context, and then we'll get down a little farther to where we want to focus on this morning. The Bible says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord... Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld... He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Father, would you help us in the next few moments to think together in a scriptural manner? I pray that the Spirit of God would take the truths of the Word of God, the very words that have been written and preserved for us here in Scripture, and that the Holy Spirit would apply those things to our hearts and to our lives today. Be glorified, Heavenly Father, in this service And be pleased as we seek to obey you in the things that are laid before us. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now you note there in verse number 7 is the use of that phrase, the times and the seasons. And that's the two ideas of time which is used in the New Testament. It's that idea that there are times... And there are seasons. I think most of us are familiar with seasons and with times. We are looking forward back home to going into the spring season, looking forward to a little warmer weather. We've had a cold winter this year, and we're looking forward to a little nicer weather. Some of our folks are threatening to move to Florida soon if it doesn't warm up. I think some of our folks are praying for global warming and hoping that it will strike Pennsylvania soon. You know, we're familiar with times and we're familiar with seasons. And 
there's some things that you and I can know about time, and there's other things that God has not revealed to us. And here in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, we find that Jesus is actually rebuking the disciples because they wanted to know something about the times and the seasons that was not theirs to know. Jesus said literally to them in verse 7, it is not for you to know. It's none of your business. There are things that God is not going to tell you about. But there are some things that we can know. You know, this is often the same for you and I. There are things that we would like to know that God is not going to tell us, but at the same time, we can find that we are guilty of ignoring some things which God has made very, very clear. The the disciples find themselves in a place where they want to know something that God's not about to tell them, and they're ignoring something which God has already revealed to them, and Jesus has to dial their attention back and say, this is where I want your focus to be at this time. This morning, we want to take some time to talk about the times in which we are living. And in doing so, we want to find some applicable lessons from the instruction that Jesus gave here to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. The first thing that I note is this morning, like in Acts chapter 1, many people are perplexed about the times. I find, and, and frankly, I'm a little perplexed about the times. We are living in a crazy world, aren't we? I think every time I, I read the news or look at the headlines, I, I, I think it can't get any crazier than it already is. And then tomorrow, we'll look at the headlines and think, it did. It actually got crazier. Now, it's even nuttier than it was yesterday. Many people are perplexed about the time. The disciples, in this case, in Acts chapter 1, what is it that is perplexing them? Well, what they want to know is, Lord... When is the kingdom going to come? When are you going to restore the kingdom? You know what they were expressing there in verse number 6 by that question that they asked Jesus? They were dissatisfied with the time. There were some things about the time that the disciples didn't like. Namely, they didn't like being under Roman authority. They they wanted to see the, the Jewish nation, the Israelite nation, restored. They knew that that was a part of of the identity of the Messiah and the purpose of the Messiah. And and, and they were asking Jesus, when is this going to happen? Jesus, you've been talking about the kingdom of God. You've been talking about your purpose and what you're going to do. When is that going to happen? See, they were dissatisfied with the time in which they were living. I find today that many people who call themselves Christians, God's people, are extremely dissatisfied with the time in which we are living. They, they look at the world around them, and here's what a lot of people say. You know, I feel so out of touch with the world in which I'm living. I, I feel as if I should have been born 100 years ago. I, I wish that I would have been around, you know, 50 years ago. It would have been so much better to live. Or, or 200 years ago, it would have been so much better. If I had just been a first century Christian, if I had been in that time period, they're always looking at the past. Some people... In our, in our generation, in our time, are guilty of trying to live in the past. They remember how church used to be. They remember how things were when they were a kid. They remember how the country was when they were, when they were younger. And here's the reality that I want you to understand. The past is in the past, and it's never going to be again. There's not a sense in which we are ever going to go back to the past. We cannot live in the past. We need to be careful because sometimes what what passes for biblical Christianity is nothing more than a pining for the past. It's nothing more than I just wish that things were the way they used to be. Now, I I guess by a lot of definitions, I would be considered an old-fashioned person. But I need to be careful that I'm not old-fashioned just for the sake of I like it the way that it was in the olden days. But rather that I'm more concerned about being biblical. That I'm more concerned about what the Lord says. Uh, Still, other people, though, they may not be longing for the past, but they're anxious for the future. They're hoping for better days sometime ahead. They're, They're, if you will, living on tomorrow's blessing. 
And they're hoping that things will get better than they are right now. And, you know, for a lot of people, because of the dissatisfaction of today, the discouragement maybe of some trials that they're facing, many people are struggling with this idea. And they're almost living in a fantasy world of what they think might happen one day. I'll give you a for instance. A lot of, I find a lot of uh, unmarried Christians are just, they're, they're living for, well, when I get married, then, then my life can start. Then I can start serving the Lord. You know, if you find yourself in that place today, you have a wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord today, right now. Instead of always thinking, well, I can't, I can't really live my life until I get married. Or some people, I can't live my life until I have kids. I can't live my life until I, until I get this next mile marker or this, this next place in my... No, God has given you today. You see, a lot of people are living in the past. A lot of people are anxious for the future. But in the Bible, there is a strong emphasis on today. Why? Because we can't change yesterday, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Which is why we have to focus on today, what does God want me to do? I'm fond of of saying to our church family, if you want to know what God's will is for your future, then make sure that you're in the will of God today. If you just make sure that you are being obedient to God and in His will today, And then tomorrow, if God gives you tomorrow, you make sure that you're in His will tomorrow. And if God gives you five years, if you do that every day, you'll be in the center of God's will five years from now. But see, a lot of people think of the will of God as some kind of a big mysterious thing that's to be discovered and and that God's going to reveal to you like some kind of a movie uh, five, ten years from now exactly what you're going to be doing. I've found in my life mostly what God is concerned about is what am I doing today? Am I being obedient to him today? And then he takes care of the rest of the details. To be honest with you, I never imagined that I would pastor Lehigh Valley Baptist Church. That was never in my plans. That was never in my five-year plan. I never wrote that down anywhere. That, that's just the way that God worked it out. I'm thankful for it. I, I appreciate that he worked in that way, but that is not what I imagined for my life. But I, I do recognize when I look back, I see how God led me every step of the way and how God put that together now. I see that. And so God puts an emphasis in the Bible about today. For instance, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11, God tells us to pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. Now, most of us are blessed enough that we're not really worried about what we're eating today. In fact, I can smell what we're eating today, which is kind of cruel and unusual punishment to have a pastor put him in the pulpit and put food below him that people are expecting to eat in a little while, all right? You know, we pray. We ought to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Um, I, I don't think there's anything in the Bible that is against financial planning and preparation for the future, but I do think that we live in a unique situation in our country where we actually have the opportunity to do that. You know, many of the believers that our, our missionaries, our evangelists are ministering to on the foreign mission field, that's, this is actually how they live. They, they are praying today that God would give them food for their family today. And maybe tomorrow God will give them food for their family. We can't hardly imagine how that is to live that way. So God says, give us this, we ought to pray, give us this day our daily bread. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, God tells us that we ought to exhort one another daily. Every day we ought to exhort, and this is in the context of the New Testament church, while it is called today, why? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We ought to take every opportunity to admonish one another and to, and to challenge one another right now in the present tense because we don't know if we'll have a chance to do that tomorrow. In fact, tomorrow we might find some have walked away from the Lord and now it's too late. And we could have admonished them yesterday, but yesterday we were too busy thinking about the past or thinking about the future, and and we weren't focused on today. See, today is an important emphasis. We could go on this morning, but I think you get the idea. Here's what I want to emphasize to you, is that though many of us are perplexed about the time, God did not make a mistake putting you in this time. You are alive, you are here in this world, in this place, in this time, and God has done that on purpose. That is part of God's plan. 
You see, it really is, God did not make a mistake by having you be born now instead of 100 years ago. In fact, you know, we were, we were in Colonial Williamsburg the last couple of days, and I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of thankful for the world I live in now. <laughs> I, I like things like indoor plumbing. I'm, I'm kind of fond of the technology that I enjoy and, and uh, being able to get in the car and drive long distances comfortably and not really even think about it. I, I kind of like some of those things. Now, there's other things that I say, you know, I'm not so wild about some of the things that we're looking at, some of the cultural changes that are going on. But I know this, God has put me here for such a time as this. And, and if we can understand this, there is nothing more exciting than living the life that God has given you to live. And there is nothing more discouraging than trying to live a life that God has not given you to live. God has not called you to be somebody else. He has not called you to live in another generation. He has not made a a single mistake. He has put you in the place and in the time where you are. And God's desire is for you to live for Him in the time and the place where you find yourself right now. What What a wonderful privilege it is. And instead of wishing for some better circumstances and saying, if only this could change or if only that could change or if this thing could be different or that thing could be different, then I could really serve the Lord. If we would just get this mindset, God has not made a mistake and God can enable me to serve him right here, right now. That's a total change. That's a paradigm shift in how we look at life. I find a lot of people, I'm a pastor. I I do a lot of counseling. I do a lot of ministering to people in times of burden and and difficulty. You know what I find is that there's a lot of people who are missing the opportunity that God is giving to them to serve Him right now because they're so busy wishing that their circumstances could be different. Here's the deal. Your circumstances are what they are. Usually there is nothing you can do to change them. God has allowed them for a reason Instead of spending all your time wishing that your circumstances were different, why not just serve God in the place where you find Him now? This is exactly what Jesus was saying to the disciples. Listen, guys, it is, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons. It is not up to you to figure this out. That is in the Lord's hands, but make no mistake about it. God has put you here for such a time as this. Many people are perplexed about the time. But then we find that Jesus, after giving them a a mild rebuke and and reminding them that it's God who holds the times and the seasons in his hands and they need to trust him, then Jesus reminded them in verse number 8 that God has a provision for us in this time. You see, God hasn't made a mistake in the time that he's allowed you to live. He certainly didn't with the apostles And in verse 8, Jesus said to them, but, did you see that? That word but is very important. Those little English words, those conjunctions, are really helpful in understanding the Bible because what happens is he's he's joining what he's about to say in verse number 8 to what he just said in verse number 7. And it's it's a conjunction of contrast. Okay, so, hey, guys, you can't change the times or the seasons. You can't understand everything there is to know, but ye shall receive power. You see, you can't do anything to change the time in which you live, but God hasn't forgotten you, and God has an intention for you, therefore God has a provision for you. Ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now we understand that what he's speaking about, specifically in verse 8, is the empowering of that first church on the day of Pentecost. That first church had begun during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it was going to be empowered in a special way on the day of Pentecost, in a visible way, in a powerful way, and God was going to affirm the testimony of these apostles because the word of God had not yet been completed. These men were going to be part of completing the rest of the scriptures, and so God was going to give them some unique signs through the power of the Holy Spirit to to testify or to certify that their their ministry was from God. And and they were going to be waiting for the Holy Ghost 
to come upon them. Now, we don't wait for the Holy Ghost to come upon us in the same sense that the apostles were commanded to wait. However, we do know that we need that same provision. We need the Holy Spirit's power to do the work that God has called us to do in this time. Uh, We cannot try to labor apart from the the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, notice, as we think about this provision, just real quickly, Jesus makes this indication. He says in verse 8, ye shall receive power. Do you notice that there is an affirmation? It's an affirmative promise. There is no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit is going to empower the apostles. The Holy Spirit is going to give them all the resources that they need to do what God has called them to do. Now, the pastor dealt in Sunday school with the task that they were given, and Jesus reminds them of that again here in verse number 8. But remember, this is an impossible task. This is a big task. But there's an affirmative promise, shall receive. You see, Jesus is promising he's not going to leave them without power to accomplish the job that he's setting before them. In the same sense, God has put us in this time, in this place, and he wants us to serve him, and he is going to make us capable to do what he has asked us to do. God does not give us impossible commands. Where God commands, he also empowers. So when God tells us to do something, he's also going to give us the ability to do that, and we find in the New Testament that the secret of power, if we want to call it, that the secret of power is the enabling of the Holy Spirit of God. Ye shall receive. That word receive indicates that this is a dependent promise. You see, the idea of receiving something is actually somewhat humbling. If I receive something from someone else, it means that they are giving me something that I cannot provide for myself. It means that they are giving me something that I am dependent upon them to provide for me. I don't know about you. I don't like to be dependent on other people. I like to, I like to figure out my own itinerary. I like to know when and where. I like to make my own plans. I don't like to be dependent on other people. You know what that is? It's pride. It's pride. I, 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 maybe some of you can identify with this. I I just kind of like to be in control of my own life. But you know what Jesus is saying? The fact that they need to receive the Holy Ghost means that there is nothing that they can do to mimic or to mirror the results that the Holy Spirit can give in their own strength. It means they need the Holy Ghost. They need the Holy Spirit. And if they try to do what they have been asked to do in that generation without the Holy Ghost, they are going to find themselves in a world of hurt. There is a sense in receiving of humility and helplessness. And as God's people, we need to have a good sense of this. You know, I'm really helpless in this, in this time in this generation, in this place in which I'm living, I'm, I'm really helpless to do the, the work and the will of God unless God enables me. Ye shall receive. You know, that idea of power. Ye shall receive power. And that's an interesting word. That, that word power in this sense, there, there are a couple of senses of the way that the word power is used in the English Bible. It has the idea of authority, but in this case, it has the idea of dynamic power, or uh, actually the word that this is translated from is uh, we transliterate it in the English language, and we get the word dynamite. I mean, it's explosive power. It It is power that changes things. Did you ever hear dynamite go off? I have a friend. I have no idea how he got a quarter stick of dynamite. But he got a quarter stick of dynamite. And on July the 4th at his house, I will not use his name or tell you where he lived, you know, to protect the innocent. But at his house, he lit that quarter stick of dynamite and he threw it off in the yard and it went off. I'm telling you, that got my attention. And that was just a quarter stick. That wasn't very big. And I'm looking around waiting for the police to come because we were in town. I'm thinking, man, we're all going to get arrested. Thankfully, nobody showed up. Dynamite. Now that... Dynamite 
is powerful. The power of the Holy Spirit of God is something that changes, that changes things. Do you ever see somebody get the, where the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of their heart, and, and it's like, what happened to them? I mean, this is something that I just rejoice in. When people really get saved, their life is turned upside down. All of a sudden, they are different than they were before. They are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's power is dynamite power. It's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We think about that idea of dynamite power. Here's this question. Have we really seen God work in a powerful way? Or have we become content with what we could produce in the power of the flesh? Now, listen... I'm not trying to be mystical, and I'm not trying to make the power of the Holy Spirit something that it isn't. But I do want to say this, that we are very good at doing the things that we know that we should do without depending on the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And and maybe we could put it this way, we are good at playing Christianity and playing church. But we are not always so good at really depending on the power of God and really expecting God to work. I'll be honest with you today. I think that when God works, we know that he's at work. There have been many times in my life where I have stood back and just said, wow, I obviously had nothing to do with that. That, that had to be the Lord doing that because there's no way that I could have ever predicted that. There's no way that I could have ever seen that coming. There's no way that I could have produced that. That must be the Lord. There have been some other times to my shame that I've stood back and said, well, I guess I did that. And it wasn't quite what we were hoping for, what I w- would have wished for because I didn't take time to make sure that it was what God was up to. So there's an element of submission. You know, it's impossible for us to do the work of God for this time without the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The question is this, am I evidencing the power of the Spirit of God by choosing to be filled with the Spirit? That idea of being filled with the Spirit, again, is not some kind of a mystical, mysterious thing. It really is when I am depending on the power of God to live in obedience to God's Word. When I have consciously submitted my life to the control of the Spirit of God and allowing the Spirit of God to work in and through me, then I am living and and living out, experiencing the filling of the Spirit of God. What does the filling of the Spirit of God look like? Well, it looks like the works of the Spirit. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I don't know about you, but have you ever thought much about those things? They're not so easy to produce. They're not so easy to force in your life. They're they're really something that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And I, I tend to know when I'm walking in the flesh and when I'm walking in the Spirit. The question is this, if I am filled with the Spirit of God, is it likely that if I'm filled with the Spirit of God, I will be avoiding evangelism? That I will be not sharing the gospel with others? I don't think so. I I think, and I don't have time to go through the book of Acts with you this morning, but If you look in the book of Acts, when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, they were also filled with boldness. They were filled with courage, and they went and they preached the gospel. I think that one thing that happens when people are filled with the Holy Spirit of God is that they preach the gospel. Now, it it is possible to preach the gospel without the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, too. And I've seen that. I've participated in that. It's possible to be fleshly in presenting the gospel. We don't want to do that. But here's what I want you to see is that no matter what the time is, God didn't make a mistake in putting you in this time. And in doing so, God made a provision for this time. The Holy Spirit of God is no less powerful now than he was in the first century. The Holy Spirit of God is still working today in the world. I I think, in my opinion that a lot of people 
who call themselves Christians have given up on the idea that God is still at work. But I want to assure you that God is still working in the world around us. God is still moving and calling men to salvation. God is still doing a work that is beyond what we could ever do. Here's our problem. We need to get in step with God where he is at work. Too often we're trying to do something or work somewhere where God is is not at that time working. Uh, Too often we're sitting back saying, I'm not going to get involved in the work. And God is busy and he's calling us. He's inviting us to be a part of what he's doing. That leads us to the third thought. Because Jesus said to these disciples who were perplexed about the time, and he told them, I'm going to give you power for the time in which you're living. But then he said this, ye shall be witnesses. You see, the purpose of the power that Jesus promised to them was that they would be witnesses unto him. And that's the third thought this morning is that there is a purpose in every time. You might even question, why does God... Why does God have me here? Why did God put me here? Why did God allow me to be in this situation? Why did God allow these circumstances in my life? Why did God allow me to be in this generation instead of a different generation? I assure you, God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has an intention. In this case, he tells the disciples that his purpose is, ye shall be witnesses. Now, I think it's impossible to separate the purpose of God from the overarching purpose that God wants us to be witnesses of the gospel. You see, we can't really love God unless we also love our neighbor as ourself. You see, the two are tied together, and and a lot of people are so caught up in, well, I love God. Good. And if you love God, you also ought to love your fellow man. And then there's a lot of other people who are so focused on, well, I love my neighbor, but they don't love God. No, you don't really love your neighbor. You're just selfishly motivated. You see, the two really go together. Jesus talked about that. Again, that's another message. I don't have time to go over there this morning, but I know this. If God puts you here for this time, he certainly has a purpose. There's something very interesting there. Direct your attention to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. He uses... Over and over again, he uses the plural pronoun, ye. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You know what that that little pronoun, that two-letter word, ye, means? All of you. Up in Pennsylvania, eastern Pennsylvania, where I'm from, people are in the habit of saying yous. All yous. And that, that's what they're trying to say, you, plural. I don't know. We're weird in eastern Pennsylvania. And so they use that term, yous. But you know what Jesus is saying? All of you collectively together. But there's individual responsibility, but there is also a plurality in this. You know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about the New Testament church. Ye, all of you together, working together, shall be witnesses unto me. There there is a church mandate that is found here. This is not some kind of an individual, just uh, me me and the Lord, and I go and do my personal ministry. No, there there is a sense of the New Testament church. That's why I wanted to be careful this morning to say to you, before I started preaching, you know, Lehigh Valley Baptist Church is praying for these meetings. Lehigh Valley Baptist Church knows that I'm here. I told them where I was coming. I told them what I was going to be doing this week. I asked them to pray for me. Several of our church members have texted me and said, hey, preacher, we're praying for you while you're there. Why? Because what I'm doing here this week is really a part, it's an extension of the ministry of Lehigh Valley Baptist Church. This is not my personal ministry. This this is, uh, God has has gifted me to that church as a shepherd, as a pastor, and I, I'm accountable to that church family. And they labor with me. They work together with me. You think about that. You see, the, the work of missions, I, I think about Brother Francis over on the mission field. You didn't just say, hey, Brother Evan, see you later. You know, we'll, we'll catch you when you come back on furlough. No, that's your ministry. That, that's the ministry of, 
of Lighthouse Baptist Church and he's an extension of your ministry here and, and you're, he's accountable to you and you're accountable to him and, and this idea of him going is not just like, well, we sent him and he's going to do his job, but it's, it's really a part of your ministry. I think many times we, we are, and especially in the generation in which we live, we are looking at the professional preachers and expecting them to do the work of the ministry, but that's not how God ever designed it to be. In fact, if you study Ephesians chapter 4, you'll note that the purpose of God in giving pastors and teachers to the New Testament church is to equip the members of the body to go and to preach the gospel. It is their job to equip so that all of the body, all of the, all of the church family can be involved in the work of proclaiming, ye shall be witnesses unto me. That word witnesses is very interesting because it denotes a sacrifice of testimony. The, the, the word is translated in other places in our English Bible, martyr. Speaking about, for instance, it's used about Stephen, who was a martyr, and, the, and it's used martyr. It's the same exact word that's translated here, witnesses. It's the, it's the idea that as we go, there is a sacrifice to us giving this testimony. There is a sacrifice that is involved in us being witnesses. This is not something that is not going to interfere with your life. I'm sorry to tell you. I think a lot of Christians are happy to, well, as long as it doesn't interfere with my schedule, as long as it's not inconvenient, then I'll be glad to be, to be a, a witness of the gospel. No, I'm telling you it's going to turn your life upside down. If you're going to be the kind of witness that God wants you to be, it's going to totally rearrange your priorities. Because all of a sudden, you've got to start being concerned about something more than my schedule, my itinerary, where I'm going next, and when I'm getting there, and, and who I'm going to be on time for. No, all of a sudden, you're going to start tuning into the fact that God is at work in the world around you. And I, the, the way that I've seen it happening in my life is that God often interrupts my schedule with people who are seeking Him. And I've got to be ready to rearrange my schedule. I've got to be ready to sacrifice something so that I can be a witness for him. Now, that's a small sacrifice, actually. I have thought a lot about what happens if the freedoms in our country are taken away. And now it becomes a crime to speak about biblical truth. We're close. In a lot of ways, we are close in our, in our country right now to some of those freedoms being taken away, what, what will we do? My question is this, will you be a witness? You see, God was calling these disciples to a, to a life of sacrifice. Every one of these 11, except for the apostle John, is going to become a witness in the fullest sense of that term. Church history tells us that 10 of those men went to their grave proclaiming that Jesus Christ was indeed risen from the dead. They, they gave their lives as the ultimate sacrifice. The Apostle John, the only one who was not martyred, suffered a horrible punishment because of his testimony that Jesus is alive. Are we willing to pay that kind of a price? Then he, he speaks about the scope of that witness. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I find that for many of us as believers, we have much too small of a focus. We have a very particular narrow range of focus, and we say, well, this is the place where God has put me. That's fine, but maybe God also wants to use you in some other places. You see, when Jesus used the word both, it means at the same time. It was never God's plan for the church to stay there in the city of Jerusalem and never go anywhere else. It was always God's plan for them to, to go out into Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world, which is, in fact, what they did. And I think that we are in the same type of a place. We have the opportunity to be witnesses with a large focus unto the uttermost part of the earth. There's something I want to say about that, and then I'm going to move right along. In fact, I'm going to deal with it later, I think, this week in more detail. But I just want to say this. We live in such a unique time and in such a unique place namely the United States of America, that literally the world is coming to us. Now, I'm not here to make a political statement about immigration 
or to argue about who thinks what about immigration. We'll just leave that to the politicians. I do know this, that we literally have people from every nation in the world that we have access to. It's incredible to me. It's incredible the opportunity that God has given to us. And, and in many cases, we don't even have to travel. We just have to show a little bit of discernment in looking around and finding that there are people from every nation all around us. And I'm going to say one more thing about that. Many times, they are some of the most open to the gospel. But we're not really looking for them. All right? We'll come back to that later in the week. We need to be witnesses unto the uttermost part of the earth. We ought to be equipped to be cross-cultural proclaimers of the gospel. We have to be willing to cross cultural boundaries to proclaim the gospel to people who are around us. The subject of that witness, unto me. See, it's not, it's not just a love for souls. It's a love for Christ. It, it is... Uh, this idea that I've been captivated by what Christ has done for me and I want to proclaim his goodness to those around me. I want people to know that salvation is real, that what I have experienced is something that they can experience. I want to go to them and tell them that there is something more than empty, dead religiosity that is possible. There is a relationship with the living God that they can have. I want to point people to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we think about this, if God has left you here, then he still has a purpose for you to be here. If you're still drawing air and taking up space on God's green earth, then God didn't make a mistake in leaving you here. He's got something that he wants you to accomplish. And that purpose is always going to pertain to the declaration of the gospel to those who are around you. Now, I'm not against mowing the lawn, but God didn't put you here to mow your lawn. I'm not against maintaining a house and, and building some sort of, of financial security for the future, but that's not the main purpose that God left you here for. I, I'm not against working a job. Uh, in fact, it's pro- the Bible teaches that it's a good thing and a man shouldn't eat if he doesn't work, but I do know this, that the main purpose God has for you at that job isn't just to work that job. You see, he's got something more. There's a, there's a bigger purpose... I guess what I'm saying is this. As believers, if we don't have a bigger purpose than the world around us, then are we really disciples of Jesus Christ? There is a purpose that God has left us here for. Acts chapter 1 makes it clear. Hey, listen, don't pine for the old days and don't long for the future. Live your life today with the full assurance and the knowledge that God wants you to live for him right here Right now, he has something for you to accomplish. Some questions. Some objections. Because here's some common objections that I've encountered as I've tried to challenge people in this area. A lot of times I hear this. I'm not really a good talker, so I can't be a witness. You know, I'm just not, I'm just not a talker. I don't talk to people. I just mind my own business. I'm an introvert. I'm quiet. I don't, I don't really, I mind my own business, you know, so I don't, I don't know that God has really called me to do that. Now, there is no denying that there are people who have the gift of gab, and there are people who do not have the gift of gab. There, there are people who are extroverts, and there are people who are introverts, but I want you to understand Jesus did not qualify this command or this promise based on your personality type. He simply said, You can be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God if you are a believer and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, which goes together. So if you are saved, you do have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you are willing to yield yourself to his control, God can use you whether you are a good talker or not. Here's the other objection that I hear a lot. There is just nobody around that's interested anymore. Nobody really wants to hear it. Nobody cares. I've tried to share the gospel, and there's just nobody that's interested. Okay, I don't deny that we live in a changing culture. And it is a great delight to go to places where there are people who are readily willing to talk about the things of the Lord. But I also don't want you to get this idea that God has stopped working in our time and in our generation. In fact, we've come to this conclusion at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church. 
There are more people interested in the gospel than we can imagine. God is working all around us. Our challenge is we have to find them. Which is why God tells us to go. We have to go. Here's another little tidbit. Most of them are not going to come to you. They're not going to see a sign out by the road and say, oh, there's people who worship God. I'm going to go find out about them. That's not how you're going to find them. Which is why God says to go. He doesn't really ever tell us to put up a sign and invite them to come to our services. He does tell us to go and find them and compel them to come into the kingdom of God. He does tell us that we have to go with that message. And so that's not really a legitimate excuse in my mind. It's not really a good reason. There really are people who are interested. We found in our area that there are more people who are interested in the gospel than we could have ever imagine now sometimes it's a shallow interest sometimes it's not a lasting interest sometimes it's it's just well i'm trying to get you off my doorstep but i know this we find people all the time who are at least willing to talk to us about the things of the lord almost every week in our men's prayer meeting we have men sharing prayer requests about hey i was able to witness to this person on visitation i've witnessed to this person at work i was able to share the gospel with this family member why Because God is working. God is doing some things. We're thankful for that. Third objection. Well, we're in the last days, and people are so deceived. Even the Bible says that there's going to be few, and even the Bible says that many people are going to be deceived, and they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. It's not hard. You know, you drive down the road, and you see churches of every stripe, and some of them have these massive buildings, and they've got thousands of people going to them, and then you listen to the message that's being preached there, and you say, that's a bunch of puffery. That's a bunch of nonsense. That's not even biblical truth, and it's easy to get discouraged and say, see, the Bible is coming true. God just isn't working anymore. God is still working. In fact, can I say it this way? I believe we live in the most exciting time of human history because I believe we are in the last days. I believe it's not going to be long until the Lord calls us to himself and there's that great catching away and and the beginning of all those things that are revealed in the scripture. I believe that time is not far, but I know that God is at work. It's an exciting time to be alive. Instead of saying, I wish we didn't live in the last days, let's say, I'm so excited to be in the last days. I'm so excited to be a part of what God is doing because God is has put Lighthouse Baptist Church here in this place, in this time, and he has a purpose in it. He wants you to be witnesses of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Like the apostles of old, God wants to work. God wants to move. If we will only seek his empowering and walk in the power of his Holy Spirit, we can see God work in our lives and work in the lives of those around us to do, carry out his purpose and his plan in this age. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, thank you for the goodness of your word and how it applies to our lives. And we pray for this church. Lord, I pray that this week you would help me to be a help and an encouragement to them. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would challenge them concerning their place and their responsibility in the task of the Great Commission. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased just to do a great work in this church, in their hearts, Lord. Give them a great vision for what it is that you can and desire to do through them as they seek to be faithful to you. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. Help us now to be sensitive and obedient to your plan, your will for our lives. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.